I'd like for you to turn to John chapter 11. I'd like to begin with verse 32. Then when Mary... Would you stand, please? Thank you. John 11, verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should, have, should not have died? Jesus therefore again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he, was, he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did Believe on him. I want to preach to you tonight for a while on the death, burial, and resurrection of a promise. The death, burial, and resurrection of a promise. Dear Lord Jesus, we love you tonight. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for all that you've done for us, God. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you. 
You've been so good to us, Lord, and we're unworthy of your goodness. But we accept your goodness because we know that you love us. We thank you for it, Jesus. We're asking you tonight, God, that you would speak to us. That you would come to us now. And that by your spirit, you would speak to us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you would grant me the spirit of utterance and unction and anointing. That you might speak to us faith. That you might speak to us encouragement. That you might speak to us, Lord, and build us up, lift us up, God. That we might have the courage and the faith to follow you where you lead us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Praise God. You may be seated in Jesus' name. God bless you. Preaching to you tonight, the death, burial, and resurrection of a promise. We have visitors here. and We're glad to have all of our visitors. Please, I don't want you to misunderstand some things I'm about to say. I'm going to say some personal things to this church. And, and to remind this church of some things that God has said to us. I'm not trying to imply by the things I'm about to say that we're the only church and that there is none other and that you got to come here to be anywhere. That's not what I'm saying. But it would be a sad thing to be a part of the greatest organism in all of the universe, which is the body of Christ, and not have some sense of destiny. There are Christians who are attempting to live for God, but they really don't know where they're going. They have no awareness, they have no sensitivity to what they're doing here, why they're a part of the church other than trying to save their own skin from a burning hell. Well, I want you to know something. I won't, I don't want to go to hell. But more than not wanting to go to hell, I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven a lot more than I don't want to go to hell. <clears throat> That's not semantics. It makes all the difference in the world. I am not here as an escape route from being lost. There was a point in time that I was there and almost everybody else starts out that way. Almost all of us start out coming to God because we want to be saved. We realize we're lost and we need to be saved. But it doesn't take long, friend, if you give God an opportunity to work in your life when that will begin to change. And as that changes in you, you will begin to live for God. God because you want to live for him more than you just don't want to be lost but what are we doing here if salvation alone was the entire purpose of the church then it seems to me that if the Lord was just trying to save us that at the moment we believed and obeyed his word and reached the place of being acceptable to him that he would immediately take the breath from us and allow us to be placed in the grave and bring us to be with him so that there would be no chance of us being lost once we've made a start to live for God. 
But I don't believe that's the only reason we're here. And I don't believe that the Bible teaches that's the only reason we're here. We are here with a destiny. We're here with a destiny. The Bible addresses many passages to the generation upon whom the ends of the world are come. The scripture is very specific, even though the last part of it that was written was written over 1900 years ago. Uh, the Bible is very specific, my friend, that certain there, there is a particular generation that was going to be a special generation. That was going to be a culmination of something that God was doing and going to do for his people and to the world. And that he was going to do this great and mighty act through his people. And it is a, it's a dangerous thing to judge spiritual things in a total outward natural fashion. Because God doesn't look on the outside. God looks on the inside. He looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. And it's almost always been that God and His promises and the fulfillment of His promises start out and live for a while. And then they get sick and they die and we bury them. You say, why should that be? Is it unbelief? Oh no. It is God's insurance policy. That when he finally fulfills the promise, no one can take the credit for what he does but his own, him, him, his own self. If the promise dies, if the promise has to be buried, if the promise is stinking, and then God comes along and resurrects the promise out of impossibility, then no one can get the credit for what for the fulfilling of that promise but Jesus Christ. No one can get the pat on the back but Him. No one's name can become famous but His. No one can receive the credit, the honor, the glory, the fame, the, fame, the prestige, the recognition but Him because He's the one that resurrected the promise from the dead. That is a principle of the Scripture. That is true almost in every situation where there's a promise. If you've received a promise from God, I can just about guarantee you that that promise is going to get, the fulfilling of that promise is going to get much worse in its possibility before it, it actually is fulfilled. If you're praying for an unsaved husband, I can promise you he's going to get meaner than he's ever been before he gets better. I can promise you that he's going to get more obstinate and harder to live with before, just before he gets saved than he, than he ever has been. As conviction brings him to a point, if you're not sensitive enough to discern the, convict, the place of conviction that he's in, and you judge it from a total outward appearance, your flesh is going to say, he'll never be saved. God always or almost always takes the promise to a place where it's sick and you become fearful and try to resurrect it or hang on to it yourself and right in your arms it dies and you wonder where God was while it was dying. With all the miracles He's performed, why isn't He here? Why didn't He keep my promise from dying? And after the promise is dead and uh, nothing happens, 
we sadly, forlornly take our, uh, our promise to the graveyard of promises with much grief and bury it and say, well, that would have been real nice. But uh, there's no way now. And just about the time we're convinced there's no hope, just about the time we're tired of hoping, just about the time that we've given up, that, you know, we've been disappointed too many times, along comes Jesus. And says, if you'll believe, you'll see the glory of God. And then we began to make excuses from having to hope again. Well, Lord, I do know that if you'd have been here, the promise wouldn't have died. And I do know, Lord, that you are going to do great things someday in the future, but uh, our promise is stinking. There's no use us worrying about our promise. Don't you know that he stinks already? Don't you know there's no hope of our promise coming to pass? And Jesus, uh, you know, that little bit of encouragement and finally a little spark of hope, he says, roll the stone away. Uh-uh, no, 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 no. I don't want to smell that. I don't want to go through this again. I don't want to get built up just to be let down again. But the Lord said, roll the stone away. I want you to know something, church. God is not going to do His mightiest acts until He can be sure He's going to get the glory. You say, well, that, what kind of attitude is that? It's an attitude of love. He knows that the greatest things that he does and is going to do, no man could possibly stay saved in the, in the light of the brilliance of the glory of God that would be manifested through that act. No man could possibly be in that glory and, and not be tempted to touch that glory and to take some of that glory for himself if that, if the possibility of that promise was not first totally Brought to a place of impossibility through that man or through that church. God spoke some things to me that I am not prepared to tell you yet. Not because I'm trying to play cat and mouse with you, but because, friend, uh, they're just beyond most of our imaginations and it's just not time to talk about it yet. But I want you to know something. God has some things planned. And you can look around here tonight, and this is testing my faith, you know. Uh, we're you're just kind of real subdued and all that, and that's fine. I'm not looking for commotion. I am I'm looking for a flow of the Spirit. And uh, I'm preaching this in my faith. <clears throat> I'm sure not preaching this in my feeling. And I'm not preaching it by eyesight. Amen. I'm preaching this because God gave me this in the mo this morning early and said to tell you this tonight. He wants you to know something. He is doing his work here and it'll be done in his own good time. When when Jesus was off preaching somewhere and they sent the message to him that Lazarus was sick. He purposely delayed doing anything until Lazarus died. He didn't work. He didn't go to them. He didn't send a message to them. They felt totally alone. They felt totally helpless. And they watched their brother die in their arms with a master that they had served at their table, that they had washed his feet, 
that they were there when he performed miracle after miracle refused to come. Let me tell you a very important thing, friend. You need to be careful that you don't end up bitter when you've prayed for something and the answer doesn't come when you think it ought to come. You need to pray that you don't get a bitter attitude and spirit toward God when things don't work out like you wanted them to when you wanted them to. Because that is the test of whether or not you're going to be qualified to receive the promise. Because that bitterness will become the very roadblock, the very barrier that will keep you from having what God wants you to have. And I'm here to tell you something, friend. I guarantee you, if you haven't experienced it, you will. And it won't be just once or twice. You will experience what it's like for God to not, quote unquote, be on time. You'll send your message. That's what they were doing. They were praying. Same thing as praying to us. They sent a messenger to Jesus with the message, Lord, please come. Your friend, Lazarus, is sick. Hallelujah. And we think when we pray and we don't feel anything or we don't get a response that God's not listening. That's not true. It takes Faith to pray when you don't feel anything. It takes faith to pray when the circumstances are only getting worse. It takes faith to keep from having a bad spirit and a bad attitude toward God when things are only going downhill. When you're trying your best to stop the slide and it only gets worse and worse and worse. It takes faith in God. It takes trust in His mercy. It takes trust in His goodness. It takes trust in His love to keep on praying when there's no answer. To keep on praying when there seems to be no response. To keep on praying when things only are getting worse. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But I'm here to tell you something, friend. Sometimes I don't care how hard you pray. And I don't care how right your attitude and spirit is. Your promise is going to die. I said your promise is going to die. It's going to absolutely look impossible. I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I just got to confess to you. The first part of this year, this thing was a booming. We were coming to service and, and ministering the Holy Ghost. The people were getting healed all, every service and miracles were happening. In the first three months of this year, we had 400 first-time adult visitors without any visitation program, without any push, without any encouragement for you to invite people. God was just bringing people in here. And all of a sudden, putting, doing everything we knew to do, the thing started skidding a little bit, sliding, and started dropping off downhill just a little bit what's going on here didn't God say he was going to triple the church this year <clears throat> didn't he say he was going to triple the church this year did he say that or didn't he did he well let me tell you where the promise of the church being tripled is dead, buried and stinking admit it for most of us, it's been weeks, if not months, since we prayed about the church tripling. We buried that thing. 
That thing died on us. We stuck that thing in a cave somewhere, put a big stone in the way. We didn't even want to look at that thing. And now it smells, and we don't want to open that grave up again. Hey, that's a hey. We don't want to get our hopes up again, Jesus. We're not going to let this preacher get us all geared up, believing again to be for your promise to be fulfilled. That thing's dead. We gave you a chance to do it, and you didn't come, and you let it die. And it's buried. We've already had the funeral. And the best we can hope for is in the last day, it'll be resurrected with the rest of them. But for right now, forget it. Hello. Now, am I telling you the truth or am I telling you the truth? Oh, yes. <clears throat> Hallelujah. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. We, we buried that thing. We put it in the ground. <clears throat> that thing stinks. And about that time, four days has passed, right? It's all over with. We did our praying. We've even stopped praying for Lazarus. Why pray? He's dead. We've, we've stopped hoping for a miracle. We knew Jesus was a miracle worker. Mary and Martha was there. They saw the miracles. They knew the things he did. They were hoping for a miracle. They knew. They said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother had not died. They knew if they could just get the Lord to show up, he, Lazarus would live. They were expecting a miracle. They were believing for a miracle. They had confidence in a miracle. But they weren't even praying for Lazarus anymore. They put him in the grave. He'd been there four days now. He was stinking. They were still weeping. Well, that was a nice idea, but it didn't work. Maybe next year. That was a nice idea, praying early in the morning, but uh, it's too hard to do. <sighs> that was a nice idea, but that must be for somebody else. That's not for us. Hallelujah. That's all right. Don't worry about it. You did the best you could with it, and it died. Now God's going to have to resurrect it. <laughs> Ooh. Praise God. That's right. And along comes Jesus rattling our cage. We'd all, we've already adjusted to being from three down to two. Just Mary and Martha. That's all it was. One of them serving, the other one weeping. Sitting at his feet. Complaining one about the other. One of them doesn't want to worship and the other one doesn't want to work. Hallelujah. Woo. And Lazarus, the glue that was holding that thing together, is dead. Things coming apart. You don't believe it's come apart? Mary and Martha didn't meet him together. They talked to him individually. I'm not even sure they were speaking. Mary was blaming Martha because she worked too much and didn't pray enough. And that's why Lazarus died. Martha was blaming Mary because she prayed too much and didn't work enough. And that's why Lazarus died. Yeah. 
Hallelujah. And they weren't even speaking, and the promise is dead and buried. But along comes the promise giver, who is the resurrection and the life. He said, If you believe on me, though he's dead, yet shall he live. If you'll believe. If you'll believe. If you will believe, though the promise is dead, it's going to live. If you'll believe. Now they're still fussing with him. She accused him. Lord, if you'd have just kept on giving us revival, this thing had been booming by now. If you hadn't let our prayer dry up, if you hadn't let us go through all the things we went through the last few months, we'd, we'd be a lot farther along than we are right now. It's your fault, God. You let it die. It is his fault. He did let it die. But not for the reason you think. He let it die because we couldn't handle it yet. Do you understand that the greatest miracles of God have to, have to come through people that have self totally washed out of? If God gave me the power to heal and, there was, and He didn't wash greed out of me, then I could go on the road with a tent and make a lot of money. <clears throat> or I could go on TV and get everybody to send me their tithes and offering. I could commercialize the thing, friend. But if self is washed out, then the only purpose in praying for people that are sick is ministering to somebody in need. Period. It's always bothered me. So and so's healing campaign. I'm sure glad they're healing because the Lord's not getting any credit. So-and-so's miracle revival. Mm. Who's miracle and who's revival? Some of you send money to those things. Tell you what, next time you're sick, have them come visit you. And when you need to be buried or married, have them do it. Hallelujah. Praise God. I didn't intend to say all that. Probably shouldn't have. It's too late now. This isn't court and I can't say scratch that from the record. <clears throat> anyway. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now, was he troubled because he was worried? Hello? Here's an important point you've got to get tonight. Why was he troubled? Was he worried about him being able to do anything about it? No. He wasn't worried in the least. Why was he troubled? And he wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Two words. Jesus wept. In case you didn't know that. Here it is right here. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. 
doer. Did he weep because he was sad because Lazarus died? I don't believe it. You read later on in the chapter, it's very obvious. He had total confidence what he, would, what he had come to do. He told his disciples when the message first came that Lazarus was sick. He said, this is not a sickness unto death, but it's for the glory of God. He knew exactly what was going to happen from the time the message came. He knew Lazarus was going to die and he was going to raise him from the dead. Then why was he troubled and why did he weep? Get this. Why was he troubled and why did he weep? He was troubled because they had seen so many miracles and had so little faith for one. And he wept, I believe, over sadness that they were so hard of heart. This was not people that he did not know. Martha and Mary had cooked him meals and fed him. He had stayed in their home with their family. He knew them personally. They were friends of his in a natural sense. They heard his teaching. They saw his miracle. And I believe he wept because he was disappointed that someone that they loved and someone who had loved him so much would honestly feel like that he would let them down and not care. I wonder how disappointed the Lord is over our accusing him of not caring. You've got to admit that's the underlying thing here. They accused him of being too busy to come. They accused him essentially of being unconcerned that he didn't make the time to come. Don't you understand, Lord? This is your friend, Lazarus. You're sick. Like his mother and his brothers and sisters came to the temple. He was teaching one day and said, Master, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are outside and want to talk to you. He said, Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Those that do the will of God are my mother and my brothers or sisters. Was that unconcerned? Was he unconcerned? Did he care or not care about them? Sure he cared. But he's trying to prove a point. Let me tell you something, friend. God is going to test you and test you and test you. Because he's mean? No. Because he has no other way of proving to you that he can be counted on. Lazarus has got to die. Abraham had to take Isaac to the mountain. He had to do it. His name was changed from Abram to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. Kind of hard to be the father of many nations when you've only got one boy. And the Lord says, take him to Moriah and kill him. Offer him as a sacrifice to me. That's kind of hard, you know. But he took Isaac to Moriah. 
Isaac was as good as dead. He was laid on the altar. The wood was there. The altar was built. His hands were tied. The knife was in Isaac's hand, Abraham's hand. It was drawn back with every muscle flinched to bring it down when the angel stopped him. And the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 11, it was because Abraham believed God that he was able to raise him to life again. Abraham was willing to kill his promise. You see, God worked on Abraham's faith for 25 years. And by the time it came to this point, it was 25 years from the time of the promise that Isaac was going to be born until he was born. And in that period of time, God worked on Abraham's faith and worked on Abraham's faith and worked on Abraham's faith till it came down to the ultimate test and Abraham proved it. He didn't wait for God to kill Isaac. God required him to kill it. And in Abraham's heart, Isaac was as good as dead. God said, kill him. I'm going to kill him. Why? Because Abraham was convinced that God's word is true. And it didn't matter what God had to do. If he had to resurrect him, he'd resurrect him. But God made a promise. God made a promise. And Abraham believed the promise. And it was accounted unto him for righteousness. The scripture says, Abraham believed God. You know how to get credit points with God? It's not what you do. It's what you're willing to believe him to do. Say that one more time. What pleases God, what impresses God is not what you do for God, but what you believe for God to do. It's in the book. The centurion came and said, uh, Master, uh, I've got a servant that's sick. And the Lord said, I'll come to your house. He said, don't come to my house. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. Just speak the word only. And Jesus said, I haven't found so great a faith. No, not in Israel. And the Syrophoenician woman came to the Lord and said, Lord, my baby's sick. My daughter's sick. Heal her. And he ignored her. And then she worshipped him. And the disciples came to the Lord and said, send her away. She's bothering us. And he rejected her worship and he had nothing to do with her. And finally she said, Lord, have mercy on me. He said, I can't do anything for you. You're a dog. You're a Gentile, and I've just come to do things for the Jews. And she said, but Lord, don't even the, the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. And there in the presence of everybody, he said, oh, woman, great is thy faith. It's not what you do for God that's important. It's what you believe for God to do that counts with God. You need to come to church. The Bible says don't forsake the assembling yourselves together. You need to pray. And the book says pray without ceasing. You need to fast. Because Jesus said there are some things that don't come about except by, but by prayer and fasting. You need to give because the Bible says to give. You need to worship because he is worthy of our praise. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. You need to read your Bible because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. But you don't get 
credit with God because of what you do for God. It is your faith in God that's accounted for righteousness. It's what you're willing to believe for Him to do. That's important with God. That's what counts with God. That's why there are some people who seem to be great who are really small. And some people who seem to be small of stature spiritually who are really great. Because of what they're willing to believe for God to do. So Jesus was sad and he wept. He was troubled over their unbelief. He was troubled over what he felt in them toward him. He was troubled about it. It didn't make him feel very good to know that here were people that he had blessed and helped. That the first time he shows up late, in their opinion, they're willing to accuse him and chalk him off. Just mark him off. And the scripture says, And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should have? not have died on the surface that sounds like a statement of faith but is it not really a statement of accusation well the Lord said he'd supply all of my need according to his riches and glory and I'm broke and they're about to put me out of my apartment and they're about to repossess my car where's God at he said he could supply why hasn't he I'm talking to you. Oh yeah. Why hadn't he? Because he wanted you to see where you are. Because he loves you. He's not trying to put you down. He's trying to pick you up. He wanted Mary and Martha to learn something here. Let me ask you a question, friend. When it was all over with and Lazarus was out of the grave clothes and they were hugging and jumping up and down together over him coming back to life, which would they have chosen at that point? Him being healed of his sickness or him being raised from the dead? Hello? I'm talking to you. Really? Hey, God, two weeks before we left for Korea... I tried my best. I delayed to the last minute, finally, making a commitment on which, which way we'd do on the tour. In order for me, I told the man, I said, I, I want to go to Hong Kong. I feel like it's the will of God for me to go to Hong Kong. But I don't want to come home Sunday night. I said, I'm sorry, we can't do anything about it. You'll have to make a choice. Either you don't go to Hong Kong, you come home on Wednesday or Tuesday night, or you, uh, you, you stay the extra days and leave Sunday night in Seoul. I couldn't accept either one of those. And here I stand tonight. And if I had to make a choice right now, it is by far greater for him to have done it the way he did it than for me to have got the confirmed reservation before I ever left the country. I wouldn't have experienced what I did. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to trust God the way I did. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to see God work the miraculous way to get me home today the way He did. I wouldn't have known anything about all of that. There'd have been no sweat. I'd have just been cruising along just in the flesh because it was no problem. 
But friend, my trip home for church today was dead, buried, and stinking. Until Jesus came along. You got to learn something here. He said, if thou, this is where I'm trying to head to right here. If thou canst believe, thou shalt see the glory of God. Church, don't you understand that there are more important things than life working out conveniently for us? That there really are more important things than us living a trouble-free life? Can't you see and understand that when the Lord said that in the world you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. That what he was really saying is this. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have problems. There are going to be difficulties come along. But don't get worried. And don't start accusing me. And don't get all upset when it looks like it's all dead and buried and stinking. Don't you understand? I'm doing this for your joy's sake. I'm doing this for your faith's sake. I'm doing this for your benefit. Yes, he's doing it for your good. He's doing it for your good. There's ne- for a true child of God, there's never a problem that comes along or a trouble that comes along that he doesn't have ultimately joy in mind for you. And what he wants you to do through troubles and problems is ultimately to learn to have the joy before it happens. That's right. He wants you to have joy before it happens because actually joy and faith are synonyms. You can't have faith and be down in the mouth. There is an anticipation that bubbles. There is an anticipation of joy that bubbles. It just bubbles. When faith has been proven and tested, and you know that God will come through. Some of you can't grasp this, but I'm going to make a statement that's going to sound ridiculous. There will be a day that you will look forward to problems. There will be a day that you will look forward to difficulties. Because you will will have experienced God's miraculous working so many times. That you will choose the harder course over the easy. Simply to have the privilege of seeing the glory of God. Hey, you know, it's nice to have money in the bank all the time. Be able to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. But it's not the best way. It's not the best way. It is much more thrilling and exciting and powerful to see God take nothing and make something. Time after time after time after time. It is absolutely joy, ecstasy when you reach the place 
that you look forward to impossibilities and anticipation and excitement of seeing what God's going to do this time. I wonder how he's going to work it out this time. I wonder how he's going to answer the prayer this time. And to see the situation get worse and worse and reach the place of being impossibility being an impossibility and then watch God just step in and just so easily snap his fingers and turn that thing around and bring it out in greatness and glory don't you understand that the church is God's demonstration or example to the world don't you understand that God used Israel to prove to this world how great he was you don't think the world heard about the Red Sea parting and all the Egyptians being swallowed up? You don't think the Egyptians knew that there was a bunch of people, two to three million strong, traveling in the wilderness that never planted crops that eat from a, a strange food that they found on the ground every morning? That when they got thirsty, the water came out of rocks. That when, uh, when they wanted meat to eat, God sent clouds of quail that they just went out and picked up off the ground. No, no bows and arrows, no slingshots, no, no clubs, no, no guns, no nothing. No bird dogs. They just went out and cleaned them up off the ground, brought them home and ate them. You don't think they heard about that? You know they heard about it. Because when the two spies went to spy out Jericho and they talked to Rahab the harlot, she said, our hearts melt because of you. We have heard about your God. We have heard about what he's done. And our hearts melt because of you. Let me tell you something, friend. Word travels fast when there's a group of people that's willing to go through whatever they've got to go through to prove the point to this world that God's still real. That they're willing to go through what they've got to go through to prove the point to this world that God's alive. That God has all power. That He's all wise. That He's a merciful, loving, kind, generous God. Oh, yes. We were called out of darkness into His marvelous light that we might show forth His praises. You know what the word glory means? A manifestation of God that produces praise. I read that one today. Isn't that powerful? So it's not wrong when somebody gets healed to be excited and praise. That's glory. That's the glory of God. When God manifests Himself, when God reveals Himself in a miraculous way, and it produces a response of praise in your heart, when God moves and, and touches lives and fills people with His Spirit and forgives sins and supplies financial needs and so on and so forth, when God does that, it is proper, it is fitting when you see the glory of God to praise Him for. Praise Him. It's wrong to see the glory of God and sit there unaffected. Hallelujah. Praise God. God is great. And Jesus said the only requirement for seeing His glory is this. 
Just to believe Him. Regardless of the circumstance. He wants you to believe Him when your promise is sick. He wants you to believe Him when your promise is dying. He wants you to believe Him when your promise is dead. He wants you to believe Him when you're carrying your promise to the cemetery. He wants you to believe Him when you're wrapping your promise in grave clothes. He wants you still to believe Him when you're, when you're laying your prom promise on a slab in a cave. He wants you to believe Him when you're standing outside rolling a stone to, to, to cover the thing. He wants you to believe Him the first day your promise is buried. He wants you to believe Him the second day your promise is buried. He wants you to believe Him the third day your promise is buried. He wants you to believe Him when your promise is so dead it stinks. He wants you to keep on believing. And if you will, He said, if you will believe, you shall see. Everybody say, shall see. You shall see the glory of God. Shall see. Shall see. I don't know about you. Man, maybe I'm weird. But I am not interested in a normal life. I am not interested in they live happily ever after. Here and now. I am willing to take the hurdles. I am willing to run the steeplechase and have to, to climb the, the uh, barriers of the obstacle course and go over the walls and under things and around them. However, God leads to see God get glory in the church. Notice this. I like this. Verse 39 says, Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. You know what she did? She argued with him. Sometimes the very thing that God is ready to do to change your direction and resurrect your promise seems such like such a foolish thing to do. It seems like such a fruitless, foolish thing to do. Take the stone away. And she responds, Lord, by this time he stinketh. I mean, she's telling God manifest in the flesh what he smells like. As if he didn't know. She's also reminding him of how long he's been dead because she's sure the Lord's forgetful. Can I ask you a question? Does it matter how long your promise has been dead, whether or not God can raise your promise from the dead? Hello? Does it matter how long your promise has been dead? Does every day that your promise is dead make it harder for God to resurrect your promise? Does it? Where are you? Are you still with me or did you go home already? Sister Wright must have been preaching shorter than this. You've gotten too used to short messages or something. I don't know. I haven't even been preaching 50 minutes right now is all. 
<clears throat> Hallelujah. We're going to have a resurrection around here tonight, I hope. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Now listen to this next statement. Then, everybody say then. Then they took away the stone. Please note here with me that you don't have to be perfect in your faith to get something from God. Please be aware of this for me. That you don't have to, that you don't have to never have a doubt of thought or a thought of doubt go through your mind to still get what you want from God. Do you see it? She, she wasn't expecting anything. She was actually arguing with the Lord over what he told her to do. But he spoke to her and said, if you'll believe, you'll see the glory of God. Everybody say, then. Then they rolled away the stone. Then they rolled away the stone. Can I be so kind as to say to you, there are people sitting in this congregation that God has been speaking to the last few weeks. Something to do that seems so simple. And you've been arguing with God over it that it's fruitless. There's no purpose in it. Why should I do that? It's not going to, nothing's going to happen. <clears throat> Bullseye, dead center. God has been talking to many of you about doing something that seems so foolish and so pointless. And you know what? You argued with him. What's the use, Lord? Why should I do that? The disciples toiled all night fishing and caught nothing. Jesus stood on the shore and said, Brethren, have you any meat? They said, We've toiled all night, caught nothing. He said, Cast your net on the right side of the boat. Now, they've been casting their net on the right side of the boat all night, and nothing happened. They said, We've been doing that. We've caught nothing. Nevertheless, Peter said. Everybody say, Nevertheless. Nevertheless, at thy word. Did you hear me? Nevertheless, at thy word. Take the stone away. What's the use, Lord? You'll just believe you'll see the glory of God. Then they took the stone away. Casting that on the right side of the boat. But we fished all night. We haven't caught a thing. We've been trying to have revival. We've been trying to produce this tripling. And we're going backwards. We so often look for something new to do. Antioch. 
You know what some of you are having such a struggle with? I haven't come home with something different that you've never heard before. And you are disappointed because don't tell me to do what we've been doing because that hat, quote unquote, has not been working. Tell me something new to do. What if the Lord would have said, throw your net out the back of the boat and drag it? Okay, we haven't tried that. We'll try that. That's new. Well, let's see. What if I come home and said, I got a new revelation. Don't get up early in the morning and pray. Stay up late and pray. Oh, well, I haven't tried that, but I'll try that. I, that's got to work better than the other. Something new to try. I'm talking to you. Give me something new to try. Uh -uh. If you'll just give me something new to try, I'll try something new and maybe that will work. I've got something better than that. Do the old thing. Just do it when the Lord says do it. Hallelujah. The old thing. There was nothing wrong with the old thing, but they were casting their net at their word. I said they were casting their net at their word. There's a big difference between casting the net at your word and casting the net at his word. The Bible says they caught 156 fishes. One, their net was full. It was breaking. From the same water where they toiled all night and caught how many? Promise was dead. It was buried. Burial at sea. Must have been holes in those nets. Usually are in most nets. Right? Toiled all night and caught nothing. But the difference is this, friend. There comes a word of resurrection. And if you will simply obey that as simple as it sounds. If you'll just do it because he said do it. What was fruitless will become fruitful. What was barren will bring forth. What was dry and dead and dull and boring will become anointed and powerful and effective. And the difference is, it's at thy word. Roll the stone away. Well, Lord's no use doing that because he stinks, blah, blah, blah. Uh, if you'll believe, you'll see the glory of God. Then they rolled the stone away. Then they took away the stone from where the, the place from where the dead was laid. They didn't even call him Lazarus. He even lost his name. He's just the dead. And Jesus lifted up his eyes. Now listen to this. Now this is important. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Now here's the key. This is what I'm going to be talking about for the next several weeks. The key to resurrection of the promise 
is first the simple obedience of the obvious. Second is prayer that is confident of an answer because you know who you are. <laughs> oh, Lord. It splattered all over the back wall. It must have went right over your heads. You just missed it. Let me ask you a question. If the high priest had been standing out there saying, Oh, God, raise this man from the dead. You think he'd have come out of the ground? Uh-uh. Because the high priest didn't really know who he was. But the one standing outside the grave knew who he was. He was confident of his relationship with the Father. I'm, hey, I'm going to tell you something. That is a pretty confident statement to make that I know you've heard me. Uh, listen. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. In other words, I know who I am. I know what my relationship is with you. I know when I ask you something, you hear me and you're going to do it. Here's our problem. We don't really know who we are. We're not really sure of what our relationship is with the Father. And we don't really have confidence that what that he always hears us and answers. That's what God's going to change in this church in the next three months. Let me tell you something, friend. The difference between your promise staying dead and being resurrected is simple obedience to your word from God and speaking that word from a place of confident awareness in who you are and what your relationship with God is. Do you know what? I am standing here preaching to people tonight that just hope they're sons of God. I'm preaching to some people here tonight that want to be saved, but if I ask you to raise your hand, if you are positive that you're going to heaven, there'd be a whole bunch of people not even raise their hands here tonight. And then, if I were to ask you, how many of you honestly believe that every time you pray, God hears? I'd get very few hands. Very few hands. But let me tell you something, friend. This is not something that was exclusively the realm of Jesus Christ. For He said to us, They that believe on Me, just three chapters later, I'll read it. John 14, verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do. I have confidence that the Father hears me always.
That's what he's saying. But he's extending this to you. That all the works that I've done, you're going to do. And the reason you're going to have them is because you have faith. You know who you are. You know what your relationship with God is. And you know that he hears you and answers your prayers. There's some of you that struggle with prayer. It's not because you don't want to pray. It's just that you don't believe God listens. You think there's something wrong with you that keeps God from listening to you. You approach God not as a son, but as a pauper, as a beggar. Oh God, help me. He didn't call you to be a beggar. He called you to be a child of God. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That the Father may be what? If thou canst believe, thou shalt see the glory of God. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. You know what he believed? He believed if he asked anything, it was going to happen, didn't he? Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus ever pray a prayer God didn't hear? Did Jesus ever pray a prayer that God didn't answer? Hello? Now, who was doing the praying, God or man? Jesus was God and man, right? He was God manifest in the flesh. What part was praying, God or man? What? Man? You mean man was praying and God heard the prayers of man and God answered the prayers of man and man said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I know that you hear me always. You mean a man said that? Oh, Brother Wright, he was different than us. You know that. What's the difference? He was the Son of God. Is that right? I'm so glad you've admitted it. For 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we, everybody say we, that we should be Called. What do we call? The sons of God. The Bible says we are joint heirs with Christ. Whew. Now I feel a little something. It's starting to dawn just a little bit. The cloud's lifting. 
I think you're finally figuring out where I'm headed. Don't you know who you are? Don't you realize you have the same privilege? Oh, Brother Wright, it's because he was sinless. No, it was because he was full of faith. Don't you realize it is your faith that's accounted unto you for righteousness? He didn't say if you're sinless, you can see the glory of God, did he? He said if thou canst believe, you will see the glory of God. Believe. Everybody say believe. If you believe, you'll see. If you believe, you'll see. But you won't believe till you know who you are. You know, there are many stratas of society in our country. There isn't just three classes of people. The poor, middle class, and rich. There is not. There are many, many multiple levels in each one of those categories. You have the working poor, and then you have the poor that can't support themselves and their own assistance. Then you have those who are on some type of Social Security because of disability or whatever. You have all of those. And you have the middle class and many different layers there. And then you, you have the rich, and there are many different layers there. There's a difference between a millionaire and a billionaire. Would you accept that? I mean, what you call rich, you call your millionaire rich, then what's a billionaire? That's a thousand million. You have to admit, there is a big difference between a millionaire and a billionaire. So there are many, many different levels and strata to all of this. Many different layers and levels to every bit of this. And so it is with faith. But there are some people who have accepted their position in life. This is me and this is my level, naturally speaking, in life. And I'll always be here. My mother was here. Her mother was here. My dad was here. You know, this is the way it is. This is the way it's always going to be. Hogwash. Ad nauseum. It means to the place you throw up listening to it. That's a fancy word, ad nauseum. It means you're, it makes you sick. <clears throat> you just hear that until it makes you sick. That there are some people who claim they're children of God and are willing to accept their plight in life. Well, God's blessing so-and-so because He loves them, but he doesn't, he doesn't love me enough to bless me. And that's a big, fat hogwash. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. I'm a child of God. I am a child of God. In our society today, the intimidation is if you're a preacher, you don't want to be blessed because you're automatically opening yourself up for your accusation. I tell you what, I was accused when I was poor. I'll never forget one day I heard that I had, that somebody said the preacher was taking the church's money and buying a super stereo. Well, the church is like two years old. And I'd gone down to one of the department stores and charged a $300 stereo. Now, is that an expensive stereo? That wasn't an expensive stereo then. And I was making monthly payments on it. 
And, I, and it's all over. I thought it was all over. The devil always tells you it's all over town when there's two or three people talking about it. All over town. The preacher is ripping off the church because he's got a fancy stereo. I couldn't figure out where it's coming from. Until I realized that the uh, mailman had some relatives in our church and he was telling it. <laughs> and I was as broke as it could be. The only riches I had, I had were, were Jesus Christ. But I'm not accepting my place in life. I can't give if I don't have any money to give. I've taken no vow of poverty and will not. God's going to bless me. I'm living my life to be blessed. I intend to be blessed. And I'm not going to be ashamed of God's blessings either. I'm not going to stay at the level I'm at spiritually, physically, financially. I'm not going to keep, I don't want to keep the same amount of faith I've got now. I don't want to love with the same degree that I love now. I don't want to pray like I pray now. I fully intend to continue to grow, to continue to, to, to be closer to God, to have more, to do more, to get more done. I intend to do that. If that bothers you, you're going to pray through it over you can't go to heaven. You can't go to heaven with an offense in your heart against me, and that's your problem. If God blesses me, you take it up with Him. <laughs> it's between you and Him. It's not my worry. If He doesn't bless me, He's a liar. And I'm going to take that up with Him. <laughs> now, either you or me is going to be arguing with Him. But the book says, if I do this and that and so on and so forth, if I believe here and there, that he's going to do this, this, and this, and this. And I'm believing for this and this and this. And it's going to happen. It is happening. And I believe it. But I'm going to tell you something spiritually. You can accept your place in life and stay there forever. And God's not going to force you to move on up. You can stay there. You can always have the prayer life you got right now, whatever that is. It may be non-existent. You, you can stay there. You're never going to be any different till you decide. I'm a child of God. I don't have to live like this. I don't have to live like this. I'm a child of God. And it doesn't matter what God allows you to go through. It doesn't matter what happens in your life. If you will have faith in Him, you will see the glory of God. But you're not going to have the faith you need to have until you really understand who you are. Let me ask you a question. Put that in my pocket. I'm not talking about flaunting riches, but it's very difficult for a rich man to hide his riches. It's just different. I'm not talking about a bad attitude or holier than thou attitude, but do you think God wants you to hide the fact you're his son? 
Do you think he wants you to go around acting like you're ashamed he, you're his son? That you're his child? Does it give God any glory for his children to go around without shoes? Does it give God any glory for his children to be sick? Does it make you feel good when your children are sick? Hey, my heavenly father walks on streets of gold. What kind of God would he be if his children walked around here, down here barefooted? Hey, even Jesus had shoes. He, he said foxes have holes and birds have their nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. That's true. It was by his choice. But he had shoes. He had a robe that was worth gambling over. Hello? I said he had a, wor a robe that was worth gambling over. That's right. You're a child of God. Let me tell you something, friend. When you realize who you are and that the Lord is attentive, the Scripture says that the Lord's ear is attuned or is attentive to the cry of His children. He is waiting to hear. He is listening. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. If I stood up here and say, uh, Lord, I'm praying right now because... Uh, for these people's sake, I, I don't really need to do this because I know that you always hear me. You know, most of you think, who is he? Who does he think he is? Where does he get coming off like that? <clears throat> Hang on to your hands. The Lord always hears my prayer. I know when I pray, he listens. And I know that what I ask him, he's going to do. It may not happen today or tomorrow. That's neither here nor there. My promise may be dead and stinks. But I know there's a resurrection coming to it. There is a resurrection coming to my promise. Because the one I'm serving is the resurrection and the life. The one I'm serving is the resurrection and the life. But I'm tired of acting like a nobody. I'm a somebody. I don't have anything to hang my head over. I don't have anything to be ashamed of. The world may look down on me, but that's because they're ignorant and they don't know any better. I didn't say they were stupid. I said they were ignorant. They don't know any better. They don't know who I am. They don't know who you are. But I want you to know something. The day's going to come. They're going to know who you are. Am I? Should I be expected to go around and be apologetic? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. Where you go to church? Where? Yeah. You got it. And... You drive by the highway a few, the, the entrance a few times, making sure there's nobody, any cars around that you know, so you can get up the hill without being spotted. I hope it's not that bad with anybody, but you, you understand what I'm saying? 
I got no, 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 downstairs. Where's that at? Oh, it's up there, somewhere. Hey, I don't have anything to be ashamed of. I don't have anything to be ashamed of. I know how to pray and get answers. I've experienced miracle after miracle after miracle. And the best is yet to come. I haven't seen the best that God has. All that I've gone through so far is just to bring my faith to a place that I will believe Him for what He wants to do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, God, show us who we are tonight. And show us that you're listening to our prayer. And just because it doesn't seem as though you're listening and that you don't answer right away doesn't change a thing. That you're still God. And that you're still our Father. And that we're still your children. I challenge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to get your old prayer list out. That you stop praying. And to start praying for those things again that you stopped praying about a few months ago. I challenge you to Jesus' name to start praying again about promises that you stopped praying about already. Try it. Try it and see. Give God the chance to see. I challenge you in Jesus' name to start calling names in prayer again for salvation that you stopped praying for, that you've given up hope on, that you quit believing that God was going to save. I challenge you, put him to the test. Roll the stone away and talk to him. Never can tell. You might see somebody coming waddling out of the darkness of a cave in grave clothes. Never can tell. You might see the resurrection of God. You might see the glory of God. If you'll just put it to the test. Just put it to the test. Just put it to the test. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Get your shovel out. Uncover your promises. Hold them up before God again. And say, God, breathe life back into these promises. Breathe life back into these promises. Hallelujah. 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 I remind you that the scripture says that when Lazarus came out of that tomb and they unwrapped him from those grave clothes, that the Bible says many believed because of what they saw. 
God's got some miracles for this church. And the people, people are going to see the miracles. And it's going to cause people to believe. It's going to cause people to come. It's going to cause people to find their own miracle. But it all starts with you moving the stone and digging up your promise. It all starts with you digging up that dead promise, holding it up before God and saying, Jesus, Jesus, I'm believing it again. Here it is, God. I believe it again. And I know you hear me. I know you're listening. I know you're listening. Hallelujah. Praise God. Sing it. Praise God. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm a child of the King. And His royal blood now flows through my veins. And I, who was wretched and blind, now can sing. Praise God. Praise God. I'm a child of the King. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm a child of the King. And His royal blood now flows through my veins. And I, who was wretched, was wretched and blind, now can sing. Praise God, I'm a child of the King. My Father is rich in houses and land. He holdeth the wealth of the world in His hands. Of rubies and diamonds of silver and gold. Coffers are full, and he has riches untold. Oh, yes, oh, yes, I'm a child of the king, and his royal blood now flows through my veins. And I, who was wretched. child of the king. I once was an outcast. I was a stranger on earth. A sinner by choice and a lover of birth. Oh, but I've been adopted and now my name's written down. I'm an mansion, oh, a robe and a crown, oh, yes, oh, yes, I'm a child of the king, and his royal blood now flows through my veins, and I, who 
wretched and blind now can see. Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! Oh, I'm a child of the King. I'm a child of the King and His royal blood now flows through my veins. And I, who was wretched and blind, now can sing. Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! I'm a child of the Let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. A, A flat, what? B flat. Don't give up. You're on the brink of a miracle. Don't give up. Remember, God is on the throne. I don't remember how it goes. Don't give 
Lord. Thank you.